Hi, and welcome to another episode of This Is HCD. My name is Mark Catanzariti and I'm a human-centered designer based in Sydney. In today's episode, Adrian and I catch up with Elizabeth Peck, the Director of Experience Design at BT Financial, to discuss the topic, what makes a great HCD designer. We cover the challenges of measuring great, personality traits to look out for, and an interesting, immersive interview process for hiring and design roles. But before we get started, as this podcast was recorded in the Sydney CBD, I'd like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation as the traditional custodians of the land where we meet today, and pay our respects to the elders, both past and present. Thank you for joining us today, Liz. I'd love to understand more about your um, background. So please tell us what you've done in the last, I don't know, 15 years of your career. Oh, gosh. Okay. Probably worthwhile for me to actually talk a bit about how I got into the industry. So, you know, it was about 21 years ago. And I think... Um, what really drives me and fascinates me is people. Like I've always known that even when I was a young age, I was just always curious about people and what makes them tick and what drives them, what motivates them. And, you know, I studied as a psychologist and I, my first job was actually as a service designer. So I was applying my psychology skills, um, particularly around research skills, to design a new health service for the New South Wales Department of Health. It was, you know, designing hospital in the home. Fantastic. Taking part in or delivering a pilot program of that. And I didn't know in those days it was called service design. And that's kind of how I fell into the design craft and really fell in love with it. And that was also during the tech boom times as well. So, you know, the early days of the internet. Uh, so, yeah, I've sort of been applying my design craft to designing products and services and experiences, particularly around the digital experiences since that time. In the last 15 years or so, I've been a practitioner of, uh, you know, design practitioner in various industries. So I've worked in media, telco, health and fitness, as well as financial services, of course. And I've made lots of mistakes. Um, we love to learn more about those. Learned, <laughs> I learned a lot along the way. And I, I think that's naturally how I like to learn, just by making mistakes, especially when it comes to, at the beginning, you know, my own practice. But also as I became more experienced building and leading teams as well, made lots of mistakes around building and leading teams. Fantastic. Um, Today we're going to be talking about what makes a great HCD designer. I mean, it's a pretty broad topic. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to understand, you know, what you measure as great. I can tell you about the qualities that I would look for that I think what makes a great designer. Well, let's explore the qualities mm -hmm. um, then let's come back to, well, how do we kind of measure those qualities? And maybe mm. measure is a little bit of a harsh word, but it'd be great to be able to identify whether somebody who we consider as a great HDD designer is essentially making an impact or yeah. an outcome or driving for an outcome in a business. Absolutely. Because essentially that's what we're trying to do, yeah. deliver something. But how do we know if you've got these qualities that you're going to follow through essentially? Yeah, good question. And that, and I'm in complete agreement that I think a great designer should be outcomes driven and should be delivering real tangible business outcomes alongside obviously you know other roles that are involved in delivering that. Yep. One of the qualities that I think makes a really great designer is a T-shaped professional. To me, it's not just the depth part that you know where they have deep expertise in particular areas or particular deep experiences in, in an industry or you know techniques and the more I suppose the technical hard skill sets mm -hmm. it's the the fundamental to that it's the the soft skills it's the qualities that are, are really fundamental it's sort of almost the the broad t part at the beginning um i would almost like flip it yeah. around so yeah. like you know the, the t's an upside down t yeah that 
like I would look for the qualities that are fundamental that underpins, which is the, generally the broad skill sets. Yeah. And then obviously look for some experience that they've had in a particular industry or in a particular area or a particular technique. Um, and so what would make those foundational skills that you're looking for? There's a number of those. Um, I think that a great designer should have really great leadership skills. And I don't mean like it's not a people management type skill sets. It's self-leadership. It's also being Mm. able to lead and influence others. So my definition of leadership is probably someone who's working without authority or being anointed like a product manager <laughs> <laughs> yeah being anointed as yeah. the you know yeah you, you this is your responsibility or but they just have that ability to naturally coordinate and influence others towards achieving a common outcome and I think even out of that what's more important than just the coordination is the influencing part and so then if we follow that route I, I think about well, what makes you someone who can really influence people and I think they're definitely people that are good with other people mm-hmm. and ha- have that ability to build really good human relationships. And so, you know, th- qualities that I also think that go towards the sort of um, relationship building or, or people skills, it's that collaborative nature, um, you know, and if we go deep, what does collaborative mean? I would always look for someone who's got no egos. What that means, you know, n- not attached to their own ideas, um, being really open-minded, f- flexible, Obviously, a strong ability to empathise. Mm-hmm. Um, after all, you know, a HCD, human-centred designer, it's human is the, yeah. the key emphasis. So yeah. they need to be able to empathise with others. And I think understanding that design isn't about a particular artefact, like the outcome isn't the artefact. Because my mistakes have been in the past is I hired or worked with designers that just get so caught up in, oh, you know, my where I add value is delivering this amazing artefact, whether it's, Y-frames or journey maps or whatever artefact it is, they mm-hmm. get so caught up in delivering that artefact that they forget that at the end of the day we're here to deliver outcomes rather than the artefact. And if we move beyond the artefact, what are the outcomes that you seek from them? Well, a key value that a designer brings to the table and, you know, these days now when you're kind of taking a, a new product or a service out to market, it, it's got to be done in a multidisciplinary way. Absolutely. I don't think anyone yeah. now... Individually <laughs> I, it can do does it. just, you know, someone will just go away and work on their own. So one of the outcomes that I think a great designer will bring to the table is that they are like the dot connectors or the glue for that team. So I've seen this in many instances where we've put maybe designers who who maybe are a bit more attached to their own ideas or maybe not so people-focused or don't understand that that's the value that they can bring and focus on that kind of key artefacts. So they start isolating others, Mm -hmm. whereas I love working with designers who, you know, they understand that the value that they bring is to connect people because quite often we're in the middle of that intersection of, you know, desirability, viability and feasibility. We get to talk to technical people to understand what's feasible. We get to talk to business people to understand like business outcomes and, you know, sort of goals. Um, We also understand, you know, we go and research and talk to customers. So we understand kind of that human desirability element. And we're in right in the middle of that intersection. And quite often, especially in large, with large product teams or large teams that are trying to deliver a new product or a service, they can be quite you know, working in isolation mm. or in, sort of in their own silos because there's yep. just so many problems to solve. So I guess people tend to want to just put their blinkers on and go, okay, this is the problem that I'm solving. So I find that that's one of the key values or outcomes that yep. a designer would deliver. It's that kind of um, being the glue and 
connecting the dots for others and sharing that knowledge. And if we just take that a little bit further, well, how do we know that they're doing that? Like, how do we say, hey, you're doing that really well. You're bringing people together. You're being that dot connector and that glue. How would we differentiate a great person, HCD Mm -hmm. person, who does some of that from a, you know, like a mediocre person? Mm. What I look for is obviously in terms of their behaviours and their practices, like what are they actually doing when they say, oh, yeah, I'm the dot connector? Well, I'll start asking them, well, how are you becoming a dot connector? What have you actually done? And then sort of really look at the kind of the practices that they bring, just the way they behave as well. And then the other one that I would look for, and I'm a big fan of this, it's, and generally this is sort of performance review time, which happens in in my case, I'm a big believer in having that kind of regular ongoing conversations. It's getting an understanding of what I call an, it's not a new term, but like an NPS score Mm -hmm. of that particular person. Right. So we usually have a bit of a feedback time you know that you would get from other project team members and just ask like would you want to work with this person again you know if so you, that is your you, measurement would yeah. you recommend this yeah. person excellent for other you know to work on other project teams um so that that is kind of one way that we measure and it's just like an nps you yeah. know if they're a great operator if they work really well in a team yeah typically their people just gravitate towards that or want that person, you know, in the project. So another project might come up. Like, oh, yeah, I definitely want to work with that person again. And, yeah, that is the measure. Well, that's great. That's fantastic. And I think that the HCD designer have the benefits of being that roaming consultant that sometimes a product person doesn't have because we're so wedded to a particular product. Sure. But that's great that you can measure um, whether others want to work with this person given that leadership qualities is something that essentially is something that you look for from a great HCD designer. Um, Is there anything else, do you think, that comes to mind in terms of measurement? Well, one of my mistakes in the past is I've tried to measure based on productivity, Mm, but that's never a good measure. Productivity doesn't mean um, great outcome at all because, you know, I've I've learned that there are designers out there who very productive, can work really fast, can be really focused on the artefact, but then also how they go about doing it might actually turn off others. So, um, yes, just through my experience now, the the kind of single measure that I tend to look for, it's that kind of word of mouth of that particular person. Mm. And also when we do hire, I'm very big on making sure, you know, kind of get an understanding, like, what is their mode of operation? Do you think that 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 how, I guess that how they go about solving that problem, is that something that you know, the leadership and all the kind of things that you talked about, the dot connecting, is that something that's innate to people or is that something that they can learn and, and grow as the, in, in a particular role? Good question. Um, so through my own, I guess, learnings, I think that it's definitely something you develop. It's not like a, a knowledge that you can go and acquire. So it's not like I can, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm currently working in financial services, so I need to understand regulatory changes. I can go and acquire mm. that knowledge by reading something, um, you know, an article or something like that. But with something like leadership skills or influencing skills, I think it's, you've got to develop it and it's got to feel it's got to be natural <laughs> to you as it, well. Yeah, age. Yeah. I don't think that the product person that I am now, yes. you know, I've been working for 20 years, is the same product person 20 years ago. Because I think life experiences yes. offers you the opportunity to be that leader. You can only gain that through living life, I yeah. think. Yeah, I would agree with that. And, you know, sometimes we don't always get this right. Like we know what we're looking for, but 
how do you measure or how do you, like especially when you're in a hiring context, how do you measure someone's emotional intelligence, for example? You know, we always want to work with people who have, we say, oh, you know, have high self-awareness and high emotional intelligence and, you know, resilience and understanding their own natural style and know that there are different styles out there and that the ability to relate and communicate is my ability to be able to change my style appropriately to meet that person's style. Absolutely. And quite often, uh, you know, because we do get to put to work in very challenging situations or stressful situations, it's like also their ability to regulate their own mm. emotion and, and stresses, they're, they're really critical. And um, that comes well. with time. Time. <laughs> <laughs> and Absolutely. life lessons. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I'll put it out there. The other one that I look for and I, I don't know how to measure this but like a, just a sense of knowing that they have a healthy self-esteem not the ego part where I'm attached to my ideas mm. or you know where I suppose that you know that perfectionistic type person versus the high achiever or high striver type person that that we call where you know when like I guess the perfectionistic tends to be their self-worth or their self-esteem is defined by their appearance or the success that they achieve or the outcomes that they achieve where there's the highest achiever it's sort of like I'm here for just to learn along the way and I'll you know they're both looking to achieve as much as they Mm. can but it's just a different approach that I'm I'm here to enjoy the ride as much as I'm you know if I don't get there in the end that's okay as long as I've grown and learned from that experience Um, and I'm only going to get better over time because essentially and this is a theme that we've been listening to for a yeah. very long time now, it's about being on that life learning journey, journey and not feeling like you need to know everything and that even as a practitioner and as a consultant that others have knowledge to share and lessons to teach you as well. Yeah. I think that's important. But, I mean, it's very hard to hire people across all disciplines, but yes. I'm sure specifically, you know, in HCD, how do you quickly gauge like a great designer from a bunch of mediocre people? How do you find that outstanding person in a room full of people that you're about to hire? Challenging. Yeah. <laughs> so um, through time, I've just learned that we try to just as well, you know, when we're developing a new product or a service, you would prototype and test and, and simulate before you um, launch it. I've now believed in making sure that candidates are actually put through a bit of a simulation test. Mm-hmm. So, um, in fact, our current process at the moment, we're you know, currently working for BT Financial Group and we are hiring, by the way. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> um, so, our typical process is that, you know, I mean, there's a usual sort of let's have a look at your experience, your CV, your portfolio, and then have let's have a discussion around what's an ideal role for your next role, mm-hmm. let's see if there's a match there. And if there is a match, what we typically like to do is try to simulate the working environment with a real life project. And can you step us through how you do that? In the past, we've given people homework to do. So like, let's say we time box it, you know, because we don't want people to be spending their whole kind of full-time job (laughs) trying to to do this. But we give them a, a design challenge, a brief, and then say, you know, with no more than four hours over a weekend, go and prepare uh, presentation or something to come back and we'll try and simulate a kind of a little working group as mm-hmm. though they're working on that project and they're presenting back their ideas. And what I've always looked for in that instance, it's about the thought process as opposed to the actual artefact. You know, that's yep. more important to yep. me. Yep. And also how they go about communicating and that their ability to command a room really during that time. So Sometimes you don't you don't simulate the kind of stressful nature of the challenging Absolutely. environment we're in because they're doing great. it at yep. their own home and you know they can do it at their own leisure. Um, they could so get speak, help. They could get help, and you know we're not we're not 
discouraging getting help. We want to be working with resources, people who, who knows when they need help and how to get help and where to get help. But where typically comes unravels all the learning for me is that they seem great. They did this homework. They, you bring them in and then all of a sudden in that real environment, they just don't work out. And it's typically related to resilience mm-hmm. um, and quite often it's the fast-paced changing nature of a particular organisation. So I suppose I've just been working in a lot of organisations where there is fast-paced change and because of the size of the nature of the organisation as well, it's a lot of people mm-hmm. and could be a bit disorganised, you know, it's sort of that kind of... Yeah, yeah, human nature. Yeah, it's just it's human nature. And some just don't perform or work really well under those conditions. Um, so now what we do is rather than giving them a homework that they do in their own space we reduced the design challenge and so we get them to come in and spend half a day with us mm-hmm. like three four hours we get them in uh, we give them the, the brief yep. um we give them about an hour an hour and a half to prepare yep. and provide materials and usually we just try to keep it very lo-fi you know pen paper post-it Absolutely, notes yep. flip chart um whiteboard and then the last one and a, uh, and a half hours is trying to simulate that kind of project team discussion alongside so there'll be other practitioners coming in and hearing them present yeah and then they they present and then and then we spend you know a half an hour after that leaving it very informal for them to ask questions right i really do believe that an interview process is a two-way street but absolutely know, they're interviewing us a marriage as as, yeah, <laughs> absolutely yeah and do you think it's had a positive impact on your hiring process by changing the process have you essentially gotten better candidates or better employees really oh look i believe so yeah yeah if I, if I think about the last couple of people that we've hired yeah yeah definitely and now particularly where i am at the moment we've um we've been learning a lot about um growth mindset versus fixed mindset oh, you know with i love Professor, that yeah uh, carol dweck yeah. so it's really trying to look at whether this particular person, you know, this candidate in a stressful, challenging situation, do they demonstrate those growth mindset? What happens to them when we particularly put them through, you know, a stressful situation? situation. Do they actually thrive on that and kind of quite enjoy it? Or are they going to shy away and, and kind of be quite scared of, mm. of that? Excellent. That's great. That's, that's really good, I guess, advice for listeners out there who are trying to hire HCD practitioners essentially or people also trying to get a HCD job that they need to understand that they you know will be challenged in some of these interviews well I want to go back to a little bit about that kind of outcomes that great designers deliver and so apart from binding the team together which is super important what do you think the difference between a great designer and a mediocre designer offers a company because there's lots of mediocre designers out there Mm. and there's lots of, you know, in this age of online learning, there's kind of very fast one-day, two-day courses. People are doing these courses and learning online and calling themselves these practitioners. So they appear to have the buzzwords and the common terms and a process mapped out in their head, which I'm sure you can unpick pretty quickly, but sometimes they slip through the cracks. And how do you spot the difference in a company? If I think about my own practice and, you know, I've, I've been involved in delivering lots of products and services where I guess if I measure outcome as from a business outcome, 
like if I'll be really honest, some products and services I've been involved in or designed for has been a flop. <laughs> yeah. Does that make me a bad designer? And, you know, sometimes it's been a flop through no fault of anyone who's been working on it. It could be because of market conditions or timing or, or lots of things. So, yeah, it's a really good question. I think it's got to be that demonstrated sort of of the techniques and the skills and how they go about their work. Right. And it can be really hard to tell, you know, as much as you do this upfront interviewing and stress testing as part of the candidate, Mm. it's really hard to tell until they get into the organisation. And so when they get in the organisation and they're there and they're running a workshop or they're running a piece of research, how do you know whether you're great or just mediocre? Mm. Like, what are the signs? I'm looking for signs. Yep, yep. Well, fundamentally, to be able to call yourself a designer, you, you do need to have that set of techniques, right? Whether it's running a workshop, doing some research, um, developing some journey maps, whatever that might be. Um, So you have to have some of those techniques. But I think the difference between a great versus a mediocre, it's again back to the kind of the personal qualities that I was talking about. So they've got to be someone who can rally the troops that's got that kind of leadership and influencing skills. But just through my own reflection, the ones that will go from good to great are those that are quite, that are embracing that kind of growth mindset, you know, really opening themselves to feedback, learning from their mistakes, not being afraid to make mistakes. So they could be running a workshop. It could be complete disaster. Mm. Um, it doesn't mean that they're not a great designer as long as they kind of learn from it. And the next time they do it, they've actually, I can see an improvement in how they've gone about doing it. So I think that's critical, actually, mm-hmm. around that um, attitude, around test and learn for myself on my own practice. And I think the other one as well is around the care, as we kind of thought about as well. So, you know, it's that um, I care about what I'm doing and the outcomes that I'm actually achieving for my team, for the business, and that I'm doing everything that I can with what I've been given to try and achieve those outcomes. Excellent. So. Cool. So, Liz, we always ask three questions for every guest that comes on the podcast. Um, the first question is, what's the one professional skill that you wish you were better at? Oh, geez. Um, facilitating. I think you can never be absolutely 100% with that. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next question is, what is the one thing in the industry that you wish you were able to banish? Um, probably more around bureaucracy. I'm, I'm only thinking that in terms of the context of where I'm working at the yep. moment. So, you yep. know, look, I understand it's a large organisation, so therefore processes need to be put in place, but sometimes it feels like it's process for process sake. Yeah, cool. And uh, final question is, what's the message that you've give to an emerging HCD talent for the future? I think embrace it, enjoy it. I think we, you had initially asked, uh, you know, thought the topic of the conversation could be, is HCD a fad? And I don't think it is a fad. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that at the moment it's still seen as an area of expertise, but eventually I think everyone, like to be able to work in a you know, future workforce, like you need to have these skills. It's a bit like coding is almost like the third language these days, especially the way they talk about it, you know, to primary school children. To me, like design thinking and HCD is going to become one of those, like it's just something you have to have. Mm. So, yeah, embrace it, enjoy it. Awesome. All right, thank you very much for your time today, Liz. We'll see you next time. Thanks. So there we have it, folks. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to be a part of the conversation or community, hop on over to thisishcd.com where you can request to join the Slack community and help shape future episodes and connect with other designers and product people. Thanks for listening. See you next time.